Welcome to the Architecture of Contemplation podcast, where every week I sit down with a fellow human and ask which spaces or places do they frequent that provide space for respite and contemplation. Time appears to be sequential, right? Running solely in one direction in an ever-expanding universe. Too often it feels that voluntary pausing is simply not an option. Part of my mission, Hardeep, your host, is to ask the question, in modern times, what are the spaces, the principles of design, the underlying ethic of these restorative moments, and how can we unfold these ever more keenly into our daily lives? In learning about the expansive place of others, what you will find enclosed is an invitation, a call to contemplation, which gives you permission to pause without needing to break first. If you're ready, let's go. Hello friends and fellow human beings. Today I am speaking with Amra Jundan, co-founder and CEO of Accelerant Energy, the startup behind the world's first circular economy, lithium battery. Energy is the subject of our discussion today, in both literal and metaphysical terms. Here on Earth, we are in the midst of a great energy transition. This is where Amrath and his co-founder Carlton come in. We talk about the ethics of a new energy paradigm, the broader stewardship of the Earth's resources, entrepreneurship in the use and service of humanity, picking the right partners, and so many more topics. The word for me that coalesces around this conversation is serva. It is a Sanskrit word which translates to selfless service, a central tenet within the Sikh wisdom tradition, and that which forms a core pillar within Umrath's own life and work. As for rest, respite and contemplation, Umrad speaks of the importance of family, coffee shops and cultivating a personal practice of self-accountability. Without further ado, I bring you Umrad Jandan of Acceleron Energy. Umrad Jandan co-founder and CEO of Acceleron Energy. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. So the nature of your work is fascinating. It's within the battery space and one can look upon the description on your website and conversations that you've had that Acceleron is a pioneer within its space of battery technology, being truly the world's first circular economy, lithium battery. So a massive topic, infinitely interesting. But tell me first, Amrith, in your own words, how is it that you spend your time? So um, I spend most of my time really trying to understand why we are doing what we're doing and communicating that why out into the wider world. So it's, it's looking at what the future could be, getting frustrated at the, the fact that it isn't what it could be and trying my best to change it and understand why that's really important. Follow the frustration. That's a good style, I think. So the background that you have clearly is a technical background in order to work in this space, to be, I think, a founder, a co-founder. One has to have deep subject matter, you know, speciality within a field such as battery power and technology. You studied this as a discipline in terms of fuel cell technology, but I'd like to go further back. So the younger Umrath, who was you know a young boy you know 10 years old 15 years old at whatever age is there a portrait you could sort of draw for me of where this person formed who was intrigued by big question who wanted to know about how perhaps the world worked is there something that comes to mind when we think of a younger you so <clears throat> the principles by which um 
I live my life have were instilled at a very early age. Um, we, I am, I am Sikh by, by background, and um, the the philosophy of of doing seva or self selfless service is really important uh, to me. And I always knew from an early age that I wanted to do something that was bigger than myself and that was really important for the for the world. It's all it's all about um, trying to leave the world in a slightly better place. But I didn't know how I wanted to do that until I reached university. Um, so I didn't really think too much about <clears throat> what it was I wanted to to study, um, other than I wanted to do some uh, do a technical subject. I, I enjoyed chemistry in school, so I I, I read chemistry at university. And post um, my degree, I finished right at the time that the uh, financial crash happened, which was a great time to be to be leaving university. Um, and I also really was frustrated with the way uh, big companies, you, you would apply for, for jobs and not hear anything back and they don't really treat you like, like people. Mm. I wanted to do something different. I knew that the, the normal route of go to university and get a graduate job just wasn't going to work for me. Um, I think I made it through one application and became incredibly frustrated by <laughs> by the way it worked. And I made a conscious decision to to pursue further further education. So I, I studied a, a PhD in chemical engineering, and it was during that time that the bug for sustainability really hit me. Um, I heard the most depressing talk by a UN scientist that came to our research group. And this scientist basically said that the world was beyond repair, that we were completely done. Um, mm. There was no point in doing anything. Um, we might as well just give up, give up all hope and, and call it a day and just live, live life. Oh, dear. In that way. <laughs> oh, After no. being depressed for about a week, um, I wanted to do something about it. I decided that that wasn't good enough for me. Um, and so I left... I finished my degree. I left. I left with my PhD, and I worked in the low-carbon vehicle space for a number of years. And it was while I was there, I realized I met my co-founder, and together we realized that there were a huge number of batteries that would be needed. The problem is that the sun doesn't shine when you need electricity, and the uh, wind doesn't blow when you need electricity. Um, and so, batteries are a key element of this. But without um, without batteries, we we don't have that ability to use the electricity when we need it. So we wanted, we recognize that there's a huge looming waste challenge because they are not designed to be maintained or serviced in their life. So you, we produce these batteries, we treat them as consumables and we don't do, um, we don't, we don't have the ability to repair them. So there's enough batteries that will be coming offline by 2040 to fill the Wembley stadium 23 times over as we um, as they come offline, and that's a huge number. That'll be generated every single year, mm. and there'll be ten times that number in circulation. So this is a huge problem. And then what especially gets me is that many of these products, especially high tech products, are designed for the developed world in mind. So they're developed with the UK, the US, Australia, the West. Um, and what many people don't realize is that products can often live a second life or a third life in developing regions, emerging markets. 
And when the people there don't have access to the equipment and they don't have access to the ability to be able to repair and maintain them, the, it creates this massive waste problem. And people in these parts of the world where they don't have the recycling infrastructure are left with no option but to burn their waste. And that can create huge amounts of health issues for them. That can create, that can create um, uh, environmental damage as well. So this is a problem that needs to be solved and something that, that we're working on. And thank you for sharing that. This idea of server that you speak of is something I'm very familiar with as having been raised in a Sikh household as well. And the fact that it's sort of taking a personal ownership, right, of how one lives in the world and is active in the world. It's a tradition that really encourages you to be amongst people, to be of you know service in the most highest and best form. And the fact that you then applied science to it and made something at the end of the day, which is solving a real world problem, I think is admirable and really fundamental. Um, and then talking further about this idea of coming up with a solution for bat battery energy storage, a huge sort of problem and challenge and opportunity of our time. Could you then place Acceleron within this landscape of the world of batteries? Where does it fit? What does it do? Yeah, really good question. So we, we when we started the company, we recognized that there were all these batteries that would need some work done to them. Um, but And because of the way they're made, they're, they're made with permanent techniques. They're spot welded, they're glued. It's really difficult to get into a battery to repair it. So in that, the analogy I like to use is, imagine you're driving down the road and something goes wrong with your car. You don't scrap the vehicle, you get it repaired. It doesn't make sense at all to scrap something which could be repaired and has such a high value to it. But we do this with batteries all the time. What many people don't realize is that a lithium battery is made up of lots of subcomponents and oftentimes it's a few of these which no longer work as effectively as they as they could. And we scrap the whole thing. We consider it to have no value and that's really damaging because any batteries take a lot of energy to produce and they take a lot of energy to recycle. And so if we don't use them to their full extent, then actually we're not solving the problem that we think we are, which is to make the world more sustainable. And so this is, this is part of Acceleron's mission, which is to maximize the value we can have from these devices such that we can create positive impact in the world. And positive impact in, in our minds is um, strong financial performance, but also people impact and environmental impact as well, generating a return for the local people and the local environment as well. So we developed technology um, to assemble battery packs, battery modules without using any permanent techniques. So it's, it's designed to be taken apart and put together very easily, particularly in low-tech environments. So environments where you don't necessarily have clean rooms, where you don't have the testing equipment, you don't have all of the high-tech tools and equipment that you would need ideally to build a battery. So um, through through developing this technology, we've were able to realize six times more value from the battery over its lifetime than using a permanent technique to build battery. So we're a very small player. Um, we've got this idea that we want to, to change the way batteries are made. And where 
the way we're trying to do that is through partnership with organizations that are making these batteries and building products at, at scale. So we have some really exciting projects um, and partnerships with, with the Shell Foundation, with Total, with, um, with uh, Toyota uh, Group as well, particularly in emerging markets, so in, in East Africa. One of the most exciting projects that we've done is, is the project with um, Shell, Shell Foundation and Total, where we have taken a um, container, converted it into a mobile battery service facility that's been placed into um, a migration camp. This is a project with the, the UN International Organization for Migration mm. and um, is also supported by the UK aid FCDO uh, department. So that's been a really <clears throat> phenomenal building this this um, container that has that's self-sufficient. It's powered by solar. It has battery storage in it and all the testing equipment and everything that's needed so that we can take all of the solar products that no longer are useful in the camp, test them, break them down and build them into useful products, which ultimately end up back in the camp being used to power street lighting or being used in other applications. And that has a, the, the people return as well because we're able to train um, local people, uh, local people from the camps that are really desperate for for bettering themselves as well and helping them to learn new skills um, as well as helping them to realize ambitions as well. So one of the one of the team in, in Uganda in the Bidi Bidi camp where this 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 um, service hub is located has a lifelong ambition to be a, a nurse and that's something that we really want to help her with uh, along the way as well as you know the current short-term objective which is to repurpose and, and reuse reuse batteries um, so really exciting project and it's not so much you know what we're doing there but it's about again it's about the story and about the potential it can have which through partnership can can achieve scale impact mm. And that's so fascinating to hear you speak about the nature of your work, because, you know, as we said at the top of the conversation, the ability to solve for battery energy storage is so fundamental as we move towards more sustainable energy sources. As you said, it's inconsistent in terms of the degree and nature of that energy coming through. That's why we've relied on previous forms of a sort of, you know, oil and gas and so on because they already contain within them all of the energy and you can have that sort of crude commodity next to the site or the plant and it's waiting for you to use on demand and that's pretty much powered the developing and developed world so to speak this on-demand false economy really because we're using a finite resource with the illusion as if it were not finite because we're so separated right from all of these industrial actions and one of the things that often comes to mind when I think of sustainability within a more developed economy, so to speak, developed how one could define it in different ways, perhaps less developed than we think, is the idea of how do we get rid of our rubbish? What happens to the refuse? You know, we are fortunate that people are willing to come to each of our homes to get rid of our rubbish, right? But there's very little by way of quality assurance of what goes into the rubbish, what we're throwing in there. So batteries, for example, I cannot only think with horror of these batteries being thrown in common waste within domestic households. And then they're taken off site 
And that's the end of the story for us as the consumer who is out. And, you know, I could go out and buy batteries all day long or anything all day long. There's nothing for me as a personal steward to think, where is this going? What happens? Whereas in other countries, as you said, which are still developing certain parts of their economy, is that they don't have this to fall back on in terms of that developed power grid or the idea of abundance of resource, which leads to a sort of decadence. And the fact that you have inserted Acceleron into different parts of the solution, I think, is incredibly empowering. But also the way you talk about it sounds so simple, you know, as if it's so common sense. I'd love to hear from you, you know, what has been your response as you've gone into the market? You know, you're a relatively new company, you're having to sort of generate capital, venture capital, to bring your idea to life. What's that journey been like so far in terms of getting in front of the right people, getting your story across? Um, you've talked about great partners such as Shell Foundation, Total. But, you know, we're, we're living in a sort of 2D world still, you know, when it comes to energy and sustainability. What has been your experience trying to talk about this very simple solve in the marketplace? Yeah, it's um, the journey has been a very um it's it's a bit like a roller coaster i think mm. it's probably the best way to describe it there's some really incredible highs and there's some really difficult lows as well um it's it's not a straight line and hasn't been it's really been sort of all over the shop and i think this is not to get too philosophical about it but this is one of the problems with with social media where everything you see is is the highlight reel of of other people's experiences but that's it, probably the same behind the scenes um so you know it, there's been a lot of learnings. I think this has been an incredibly steep learning curve uh, going through this journey. Um, and, you know, if I was to repeat it again, or if I were to repeat it again, it, I probably would do things very differently in terms of the approach to fundraising and the approach to to business. But it's all, it's all learning really at the end of the day. So um, I guess a bit more specifically, uh, finding the right investors has been has been challenging. I think we've been very lucky to to work with the ones that we have. Um, I would like to to say that it was entirely intentional, um, but I think there's a lot more luck uh, mm. there really than than anything else. Um, particularly with our most recent uh, strategic investor, which is uh, Mobility Fifty Four, part of the Toyota Group, has really focused on Africa and African markets. That that was a very lucky um, find where they came to us and asked about sort of investment opportunity. Um, so that was, that was very, very lucky that they've been a fantastic investor, very supportive of, of what we've been doing and, and helping us to expand within, within Africa. So, um, yeah, I think, I think knowing what I know now, like I say, there'd, there'd be a very different approach to all of these activities, but didn't know any better when we started so <laughs> that's right it's the the wisdom which is hard won but I suppose it's there for you thereafter which you can then deploy as you share your wisdom as you become a leader within your own space and can mentor and reach out to other individuals um you know talking about this idea of getting in front of people finding the right people um, is something I think that can deter many individuals from going out into the world and sharing their ideas, making their ideas come to life. And I, I really believe that many of us have many more answers than we think, but it is a daunting aspect to go out again into the marketplace of ideas 
to be heard. And as you said, we have tools such as social media that can actually skew the reality of what our true day-to-day existence is. What could you tell me have you learnt about crafting of your own story, just even from a consumer perspective? Because, you know, in preparation for our conversation, you know, I went deep into the research, I looked at the material, how you present your products, how you speak about them. I know it takes time to craft, you know, the right one-liner, for example, because it's important. We talk about attention spans. But what have you learned literally about that storytelling piece when it comes to having the deep tech there, having the scientific background, but the story on top, what does it take to be heard? I think the story is the most important part of the whole piece. Um, Technology by itself will not achieve anything if people aren't engaged and don't care about it. So the, the question really is, how do you make people care? How do you enable people to care about what you're doing? And that comes to the story. Uh, and so it, for me, it, it is really about the, it comes back to the why. Why is this important? Why do I care about it? Why should you care about it? Um, and it, it is very difficult to, to be heard out there um, it, because there are lots of great ideas and there are people telling really fantastic stories. Um, but I think persistence is really important there, um, being able to just keep keep going um, and being able to shrug off the, the inevitable rejections. Um, it is really a numbers game. The more, the more people you talk to, the more, the more likely it is that someone will listen and engage with the story. Mm. And that idea of sort of connection, network effects, um, we talk about network effects within you know, consumers perhaps in terms of an app, for example, but also there's the other side of that in terms of building your own network, being in touch with the right quality of connection, not necessarily the number of people that one knows. You've founded this company with your co-founder and this, you know, you met, as far as I understand, at a job that you were both consulting for. And obviously thereafter, you know, you, this whole new chapter and universe opened for you. Obviously, having the right people around you is massively important, right? It's transformational. How do you go about cultivating the right kind of network in different parts of your life? Is, is there sort of learnings you could share with us? I think it all starts from, from within. So the introspection and understanding yourself and your values and what it is that's important to you and why, again, it, it's why those things are important to you helps to cultivate the external um so i think what if you can really sort of dig deep and be really honest with yourself that helps um we we as a as a species is critical for our survival we've developed over many many generations the intuition and the ability to create groups and create tribes and that comes down to the social dynamic of um, exchange, but also of, of values as well. So you, you most want to be with the people that are like yourself. And this is why understanding, in my view, yourself and, and what it is that motivates you and why it motivates you and, and your, your values that you hold dear, mm. it's so important to then having authentic relationships with those around you. So in the early days when I didn't know any better, I'd go to networking events and I would hand out lots of cards and 
<laughs> that would be the way that would be the way forward i've been it? there too and it's soul destroying yeah, yeah. <laughs> now it's just about really tr trying to create that stronger relationship and having that meaningful relationship with people so um you know being it just uh, for me I, I like to understand those that are around me and that means getting to it's not just about business it's about knowing knowing about them what makes them do they do they do they also feel the same way about things that I feel and if they do then it's more likely that we will have a meaningful relationship than than if they don't and it becomes self-selecting in a way but it's it's also really important to not shut out because you don't want to create an echo chamber so not to shut out voices which are different from your own as well I think it's just um, you can have meaningful relationships with people that have got a similar value set but will have opposing views when it comes to let's say politics or um they'll have a different view when it comes to lifestyle choices mm. so it's it, i think i think there's there's a way through that it's just um again what values do you really hold dear and then having that internal look and understanding which influences the external mm. thank you and i think that's right it's that the harder task is to do the inventory within because it's much easier to be in action mode and be solving, air quotes, problems out in the world. But as we discussed off air, you know, <laughs> the, the state of the internal world will then reflect itself in the outer world, which is just something we cannot detach ourselves from. Continuing this, yeah, please continue. I think that's a really important point um, because there are parts of ourselves that we would we would want to deny exist but we have to be really honest with ourselves and this is really it shows itself in leadership because when you are leading an organization and you see behaviors crop up time and time again from within your organization and you see things happening repeating patterns in your life often that's a sign or a symptom of those elements of yourself which you would deny the existence of or you would hold in you know you don't think actively that that's part of you but in reality you know, we're all human and, and there are all of these different things going on um, inside of us which um, you know we're, we're all we're all the same at the end of the day so um, just because consciously you think of yourself in a certain way doesn't mean that subconsciously you know there are other aspects of your personality and the way you are and the upbringing you've had and everything else about you that that lives there as well that's right. And I'm brought to mind of the famous Richard Feynman quote, you know, be careful not to fool yourself because you are the easiest person to fool. And having this self-awareness as one goes out in the world is really fundamental. And I think especially if one is seeking to imprint upon the world that we live in a really big idea. So you're in the world of big ideas, you know, being in a startup, being an entrepreneur, working in the energy space. And the energy space, as I said before, has many challenges, but huge opportunities for deep transformation, which I think is wonderful, incredible. But also it has, I think, an even bigger impact apart from the use of our you know, day to day lives and climate change is this concept of a peace dividend related to solving the energy problem. That's one of the reasons also I was attracted to the nature of the work you're doing and peers within this space is that when we have energy as a commodity, we think of it in terms of finite means. 
there will always be competition when it comes to a sense of finitude, right? That's us contemplating our own mortality, but we do at scale of societies, at country levels. We're always looking to um, find where we can have next element of resource to put off decline of states and civilizations. And so it creates this terribly competitive environment whereby we're all racing to the bottom but if we could solve for the storage of energy, if we could use clean energy, we can have much more peace. I think it's actually correlated really highly. And so that's a huge idea, is actually you can empower people, they can literally power themselves in their use of devices and technology, but it's a big idea. So going out into the world and how you speak about your business, how you fundraise, who you partner with is so important. And I just want to emphasize that to listeners is that it's it's one big system to think about it's not enough i think in this day and age just to have an idea perhaps is deleterious with downstream effects right these orthogonal orthogonal effects in terms of the environment or the quality of your team one of the things i was intrigued about in terms of acceleron you talk about I had seen something about an ethics code book or something like that, an ethics framework in terms of the company itself. What is this? Does it exist? Did I mishear something? Can you tell me how the ethic of the company has been created? So it's uh, the first thing I'll say is that it's always under development. So it's not, mm-hmm. it's never, it's never finished. Um, I think it comes to the principles by which we want to do business and, and live in the world. Um, and again, it mirrors sort of understanding ourselves and, and what it is that makes us motivated. So, um, you know, we, as I mentioned, our mission is to to maximize the value of energy storage so that we can create global positive impact. And, and we, we classify that in terms of financial, in terms of people, in terms of environment. And then, you know, we, we have... We, we have sort of three pillars that underpin that. We want to do good in the world. We want to do well. And we want to embrace the journey and, and sort of maximize the learnings that we that we have along the way. Um, and that translates down into into our company values. And really that's that's the, the the compass by which we expect everyone in our team to to make decisions by and also to hold ourselves to account and also our stakeholders as well. So we want to work with organizations that believe and w- want to work in the same way. Um, because we think that will be a much more, it will have a much better positive impact in the world than trying to work with organisations that don't necessarily care about that. So it's about creating, it's about creating that long-term legacy, and the only way you can create that long-term legacy is with an inherently sustainable business in everything we do. And the only way to create that sustainability is by making sure the quality of what we do is of the highest standard. Mm. That's my aspiration as to whether we're achieving. <laughs> well, look, I work with so many startups and entrepreneurs, and every single tab is open in the mind, right? It's like you have to fundraise, you need to be speaking with stakeholders, you need to be cultivating your teams, you need to be focusing on the product. You know, the product market fit is so fundamental. So there are so many demands on the individual or the individuals within the leadership team. But having the intention to walk the path, I think, is already a huge win because there is always something to point us back, right? There's sort of a compass there that we can pull ourselves back towards. 
when things seem that, you know, perhaps we haven't paid as much attention or there's learnings to be had, but I think intention is everything. Talking about this sort of multi-tab <laughs> analogy that one has, with your own work, as you said, you know, what your role is as the co-founder and CEO, I can imagine you have so many calls upon your time. At the beginning of the call, you spoke about starting sort of half seven in the morning, which for some people is early, others are like, okay, you're on it, go get it. You're working with international markets, so you know, being available is important. Tell me about rest. How has your relationship to rest evolved over time? So when I was uh, when I was at university um, and I was studying for my PhD, it is really self driven, really really self driven, and I would regularly work from sort of I'd start at half seven in the morning and I'd be going on until six half six, sometimes seven in the evening uh, as well. Um, but I, in my mind um, at the time, I thought I needed to work all the time and so i'd even do work at the weekends as well um in order to to make sure i was staying on top of my work and trying to trying to be the best the best that i could and over time that has evolved and, and, and shifted and so for example one of our core values at acceleron is that we put health and, and well-being first health and family first mm-hmm. so anyone in the team knows that if there's a if there's a medical appointment or if there's something you know going on in the in the with their family then that that's a priority and that that has to come first and so you know i take that i take that to to heart myself as well so um while i start really early and i and i finish sometimes you know pretty late as well um i make a conscious point of not doing things in the evening mm-hmm. and not doing work at the weekends um that doesn't mean that every day is restful um, and certainly in some, sometimes, you know, I struggle with sleep, um, but that's not as a reflection of doing the work. Um, I have a, I have a young child, so I have a two-year-old son, mm. and that really put things into perspective for me as well, both in terms of the work. So I haven't, I haven't mentioned it, but you know, one of my whys is that I can see a future in his lifetime where he will face challenges that I can't imagine. Mm. And as a parent, as a as a father, that is really horrifying and terrifying. And so, the only thing I can do is try my best to make the world a slightly safer place for him as well, and for all the other children out there that will be in the same position. So, I that's that's sort of really important to me. But also, then you know, there's no point in working really hard if I can't spend the time with my son and I can't spend the time doing the other things in life that are really important as well so the work is important but so is so is life and I don't want to from a from a personal point of view I don't want to reach the end of my working career and have nothing else Mm. Um, it's not it's about making sure that the identity that I have at work to some extent is separate from my life identity as well because it's really important to maintain some degree of separation Mm. now clearly you are a deep thinker one can tell that pretty quickly and you spoke of being raised um, within the Sikh tradition which also is I would say a contemplative tradition also as well as being a very action real world application ethics system 
If I say the word contemplation to you, what does it conjure up within you? Um, mostly meditation, I think, or meditative, meditative thought. Um, that that idea of slowing down and thinking about things, and also for me, contemplation is recognizing that there are bigger forces in the universe than me and being wholly reliant on those bigger forces to make it through this through this world it's um i'm just one person i'm a, a very small person so being able to do things none of what i've done is as a result of myself so the, the universe god whatever you want to call it has worked in 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 a way that has enabled me to be at the right place at the right time but that's not because of myself and as you've evolved your thinking over time in terms of taking your individual place within the world and and acting upon it as much good as you can by using the skills and experience that you've developed and been given, have there been sort of moments whereby you've actively sought out certain thinkers or bodies of knowledge, or has it really just been uh, in dialogue with your own faith and just being immersed within that tradition that's helped you develop this viewpoint or purview of what it is to exist and be in the world? Or have there been moments where certain thinkers or writers have uh, been of benefit to you so um i yeah i i've i've spent a lot of time um you know being immersed in in my upbringing and, and thinking you know in, in in the way of sikhism and that has been a huge impact on the way i think um but i also really enjoy reading um about philosophers and and about people that have achieved things in, in their lives and seeing how they did it. And so I have a huge amount of gratitude for all of the the mentors that I've had over the years that have that have given me their worthwhile um, points of view and also um, everyone that that has contributed to this journey um, that I'm that I'm on. So there's there's huge amounts of learning that have been there. There are um, you know, certainly to, to explore the introspective side I, i've had i've had the pleasure of working with a few different coaches um that have been really helpful in in doing that because doing it by yourself can be really challenging as well mm. so um and then there's certain podcasts as well which i found really really helpful listening to can you share anything more specific yeah so um one of my favorite podcasts is uh called reboot uh reboot.io um it's a an American um, coaching group that uh, the, the, the the podcast sessions are like open casting, not open casting, open coaching sessions, which um, I find incredibly relatable because all the challenges that those entrepreneurs and those people are going through, um, I, I'm going through as well. So it's it's a really helpful podcast, and again, it's that introspective piece there as well. Mm. So. I would love to hear, Amrit, what are some of the places or spaces, real or imagined, that you actively seek out when you are in need of some rest and respite? 
So I, when, I, when things get too much in my head, um, there are two mechanisms that primary mechanisms I have for, well, actually no, three, three mechanisms I have for releasing, releasing the pressure. Um, the first is, uh, so I live in a multi-generational household. Um, there's my, myself, my wife, our, our son, um, and then my parents also live with us and also my my two brothers and their wives we all live together in, wow, in okay. one house um and so we will make a uh, we try and go for a walk as a family um every day and so being able to walk and just talk through what's going on in the day is really helpful um then sort of meeting with friends and just having i i especially love meeting up in you know, in coffee houses and having having a conversation it could be about anything, but just over a, over a coffee. It doesn't even have to be related to work. Uh, and sometimes that sparks thoughts and helps with helps with getting through whatever the the challenge is at that moment. And then the third one is my uh, private journaling. So I have primarily two different journals: a, a digital journal and a, and a written journal. Um, the written journal is really more because you know, when I was a student, I could remember everything that I needed to do. And with age, I find that more and more challenging. <laughs> um, so I, I keep meticulous lists of everything that I need to do in the week, in the day, in the month. And um, the digital journal is one for long form writing. So every couple of weeks, or maybe it'll be every week, depending on what's going on, I'll just write down what's happened and how in, if there's any particular reaction that I noted during the during the week to a, to something that's been going on trying to explore that a bit and why did I feel that way and what was it that was what was it that caused me to, to think in that particular way in that moment in time and I find that really helpful as well um, but it's, it's very different doing long form to sort of uh, you know just bullet points in a in a written book um, so those can be quite long they can be a couple of thousand words sometimes depending on what's going on thank you for sharing those and I really enjoyed the fact that it's so multi-level the way in which you rejuvenate and seek restorative moments so you, you, spoke, you spoke of being sort of a multi-generational household so that's the group dynamic right um, and then you spoke of going, you know, meeting up with friends, perhaps in coffee shops, coffee houses. I love using that phrase. I too have the weaker spot for going for a coffee or a tea. There's just something about that ambient environment, which I can place all of my best conversations, if I'm really honest. But that's the kind of interrelatedness, right, between one to one or one to two, something like that. And then the individual journey that's between you, your mind, the interrogative and contemplative tradition, the fact that you're looking to each of those three modalities, I think, is a really healthy way to go about things. It's sometimes nice to be within a large crowd. It allows a different kind of easing of the self, especially with people where there's deep, where there's deep trust. And then where people are really more interrelated, i.e. one-to-one, two-to-one, whatever, you're seeing the whole of each other. You're really listening deeply. And then the individual where it's just you having to listen <laughs> to the call and response. So I, I really appreciate that, Amrit, that, that response. I have one final question to end with, which I ask all of my guests. 
It's around this concept of the age of the steward, and we have touched on this obliquely, but let's make it explicit here. The age of the steward for me is really this idea that we are waking up. Many of us have had embers of this inkling for a while, but perhaps now is the time we accelerate this, whereby we are individual stewards that take ourselves as seriously as needed, with joy and levity too, but to really think of what are we stewarding in, what are we responsible for in our own lives, in our work. So Amrath, if you could tell me in your own words, what would you like to either steward in or be a steward of in any parameter of your life or work? That's a really good question. Um, For me, I see my life work about creating legacy for the future. Um, I, you know, I come from a, a family that migrated from India and I would not be here today without the really hard work of my grandparents and the generations before them and then my parents and each generation has managed to do more than the, the previous because of the efforts that were built uh, and, and the groundwork that was laid. And so I would really like to see my son, grandchildren, excel, excel even better and do even bigger things than than I can do. Um, and so that would be, I think, a life worth living. And then being able to really give back as well. So um, again, all the experiences and learning I've I've been so fortunate to have received, to receive mentoring and to received coaching and I would really like to do that and provide that for others in the future as well so it is that long-term view um, and you know one of multiple generations that I think really like to to see the future I think one of my favorite quotes it's an, it's an ancient Greek phrase um, which is society grows great when men plant trees under whose shade they shall never sit and that, that really resonates with me. It's that idea that what we're doing today should last for the future and we should create an environment where future generations can prosper because we are borrowing the resources of future generations. They're not our resources. So being able to create that environment for the future is so important. It's really beautiful and clearly thought through. I really appreciate you projecting that out into future generations. I think that timeline is what transforms the way in which we think and act in the world. If we could just hold on to that future proofing as we went about our daily actions, we would solve for many of our issues, I think. Amrit, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you, delving into your world. I mean, I had so much more to cover with you, but this has been enriching and deep enough. So I applaud the work you're doing at Celeron. I really hope it really flourishes deeply and continues to grow in exciting and unexpected ways as well. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. Thanks a lot for having me on. I hope you truly enjoyed my conversation today. I'd love to hear from you. Please do leave a comment Spotify, wherever you are listening, and tell me what is a space or place that gives you that moment of pause. And you never know, I may just share it here, so keep listening out. Finally, if this episode resonated, and you think it might do the same for someone you cherish, then do leave a very nice comment and a five-star rating. That way, the universe will know I'm not a solo architect, but part of a much larger, wonderful team of builders. And until next time, I wish you much peace.